I care not today what the morrow may bring. Shadow or sunshine or rain. The Lord, I know, ruleth o'er everything, and all my worry is vain. And then the chorus of that great old hymn we often sing, Living by Faith. Living by Faith. Is faith something you live by? Can you truly live by faith? Part of your consciousness, a part of your life. Well, the Bible certainly affirms that the just shall live by faith. Habakkuk 2 and verse 4. The just shall live by faith. And then Romans 1, 17, as Paul refers to it in that text and talks about the gospel from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The same writer at Galatians 3.11 makes the same affirmation. The just shall live by faith. Not only can we live by faith, but it is something we must do. And as we live by faith, we must realize that we're not alone in this life. And in this life of faith that we are attempting to live, if we are children of God tonight, we are not alone. I want us to think about that as we look at a statement that is made time and time again in Scripture in reference to various great, great biblical characters. Stephen, in his speech that cost him his life, as he stood before the San and rehearsed the history of the Jews before that council, spoke of the patriarchs who became envious of Joseph and sold Joseph into Egypt. But then he adds these words, but God was with him. But God was with him. We are not alone. In our efforts to live this life of faith and to live by faith, we are not alone. And that's good to know. In fact, God is close to all his creation. And the Apostle Paul, in that great Athenian speech on the Areopagus there, made that abundantly clear to his hearers there in Acts 17, 27, and 28, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they may grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. And then he goes on, for in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of our own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. God was with him. What a statement. With him. The idea meaning in companionship with in close association with. It's a very special, special relationship that is affirmed time and time again of many at whom we may look in Scripture. And I'd like for us to do that for a few moments, to look at at some of whom it was said, God was with them. Look at some where it was specifically stated. We've already seen a reference by Stephen in his speech before the Sanhedrin to Joseph in Acts chapter 7 and verse 9. 
that God was with him. But that takes us back to the actual events in Genesis. And in Genesis at chapter 39, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, and Egyptian bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with him. He was hated by his brothers. They conspired against him to kill him, ultimately sold him into slavery, carried down to Egypt, tempted there time and again, imprisoned for years. Oh, how easy it would have been for him to have ultimately concluded that he was alone, but he was not. God was with him. When you go back to Genesis chapter 28 and you see Jacob, the father of Joseph and the other patriarchs as Stephen refers to them. Here's Jacob in chapter 28 of Genesis. God saying to him at verse 15, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Fleeing from his brother Esau, Jacob labored for 20 years, deceived by Laban, who changed his wages 10 times, as the expression indicates, perhaps not a literal 10 times, but the idea being time and time again. You've changed my wages. Blamed for losses, given worse jobs, etc. But God said, I'm still with you. In all of that, wherever you go, I am with you. We will not be separated. When we come to the book of Joshua, and that great, great leader of God's people who succeeded Moses, what was said to him as he was taking over the reins of leadership for God's people? At verse 5 of chapter 1 of Joshua, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. I will be with you. I will not forsake you, he says. What about the great weeping prophet? He had a great deal about which to weep, but one thing of which he was assured was that despite all of the adversity that he faced, God was with him in that adversity. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. I will be with you. At verse 19 of that same first chapter of the weeping prophet's words, God says to him, they will fight against you, 
but they shall not prevail against you, for, here it is again, I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. What about the Apostle Paul in Acts, the 18th chapter, at verses 9 and 10? Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city, that city being Corinth. As Paul entered that city alone, in terms of fellow men accompanying him, God was with him and assured him of his presence. Yes, Paul was opposed. Time and time again, he had already been stoned and left for dead, as recorded at least back in chapter 14 of Acts, but God was with him. And in the last epistle that this great apostle penned, when you go over to the book of 2 Timothy, at chapter 4, and verse 17, Paul writes these words. Verse 16, at my first defense, no one stood with me, no one, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But here's verse 17. But, he writes, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Oh, and how many others could we cite? Gideon. Gideon in Judges chapter 7. In fact, when you go back to chapter 6, God says to him at verse 16, I will be with you. I will be with you. And God wanted to make the point of being with them in their fight against the Midianites because they began, as you recall, with 32,000 in that Israelite army and God said, that's too many. They got it down to 10,000 and God said, that's too many. They finally got it down to 300 and God said, that'll be more than sufficient. Why? Because I am with you in that fight. We come to Daniel 3 and you see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before Nebuchadnezzar and being cast into that fiery furnace. You see their companion, Daniel, and everything that he endured. You come all the way back to Stephen with whom we began and you see that as the life ebbed from his body as they stoned him, he appealed, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And he fell asleep. He knew the Lord was with him, even as those stones struck his body and ultimately took his life. Now think with me about something. In every single one of these instances that we have cited, in every case, God's presence affirmed was affirmed where? In trial. In trial in difficulties, in adversity. Time and time again, with individual after individual, God's presence was affirmed during those periods of trial. 
I am with you. Now let's think about God with us. If we can read of so many instances where in difficulties and trials and adversities and life's greatest challenges, there was the assurance that God was with those faithful individuals. What about God with us? When is he with us? When is God with us? He's with us in difficulty. He is with us in pain. He is with us in sorrow. He is with us in hurt. He is with us in trial. And yes, he is with us in death. But what will God not do for us? What will he not do? He will not remove the trials. He will not take away the sorrows that inevitably come if we live long enough on this earth. He will not perform a miracle to heal. Those days are gone. He will not override circumstances. He will simply aid us in dealing with those circumstances. He will not retaliate for us. All of those things he will not do. And yet he's with us. So what will God do? Well, Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that no temptation has taken us that is not common to man, but when that temptation comes, there will be that way of escape. In 1 Peter 5 and verse 7, we are assured that we can cast all of our cares upon him because he cares for us. And we've talked about that passage and the fact that the word care is used in two different ways in that verse. Casting all your care, that's one use of care, upon him because he cares for you. That's another word altogether that's translated cares. The first word is anxiety and worry. And you can cast all of that, Peter says, upon the Lord. And that word for anxieties there is literally the idea of being drawn in different directions. And there may be times in our lives when we felt, feel as though we are just simply being pulled apart. We're being drawn in different directions. That's anxiety. Anxiety that we can cast upon the Lord, Peter reminds us. Why? Because he cares. And that word is a different word which indicates deep interest and deep affection. And that deep interest and that deep affection will never be taken from us as faithful children of God. Regardless of the challenges, regardless of the trials that we face, God never stops caring. It is the watchful care of interest and affection. Look with me at Mark chapter 4. In Mark's account of this incident and what takes place here. The wind and the waves obey thy will. Peace be still. It is from this account that those words of that great song, no doubt, come. On the same day, verse 35 of Mark 4, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had, had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, 
and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he, Christ, was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? What a question. Do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? And the idea here is cowardly. Why are you so cowardly? How is it that you have no faith? How is it that you have no faith? I am with you in the storm. And their faith should have assured them of that, especially in light of everything they had seen to that point. And so he rebuked them. In Hebrews chapter 13, at verses 5 and 6, the writer declares, Let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I will, he is saying, in no wise give you up or let you go. I will not relax my hold on you for a moment. And so because of that reassurance, we can boldly say, in other words, we can have confidence and courage in every situation, and circumstances cannot remove that assurance. Circumstances can never remove that assurance. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Faith and living by faith causes us to rise above our circumstances and it gives us the strength to deal with those things that can be very, very difficult beyond beyond imagination of some who have not experienced or are not experiencing those things. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, at verse 17, Paul writes, Therefore, and this is what God has said as Paul records it, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Now listen to verse 18. What a statement. What a promise. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. I will show to you the care, the concern, and the love of a father, because you are my children. And how do we know that he is with us at all times? We know it by faith. We know it by faith, which is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11 
and verse 1. And faith, Paul reminds us in Romans 10, 17, in that familiar text, comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. When God is for us, who can be against us? And how do we get the Lord on our side? How do we get God on our side? There are those in this world who would say, well, you don't have to get God on your side. He is, he's on everybody's side. No, he's not. He is not on everybody's side. And he makes that clear through his word. He is not for all people. He is not with all people. He loves all people. He loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But he is not for all. And James, by inspiration, makes that abundantly clear. In James 4 and verse 4, when he says, You adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity against God? Whoever would make himself a friend of the world is the enemy of God. That tells me God is not with everyone. He's not with everyone. And the idea of enmity against God is the idea in that text of being arrayed in battle against someone. And what James is saying is that unless you're with God, he's not with you. And in fact, you are arrayed in battle against him. Who do you think will win that battle? It will not be man. It will be God. And that's why obedience is enjoined. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Though he was a son, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered and became the author of eternal salvation to all who what? Obey him, Hebrews 5, 8 and 9. What did we look at in 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18? Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch the unclean thing and I will receive you and I'll be a father to you. And you'll be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Hardships, sorrows, opposition are facts we must all face, some more severe than others. But the message here tonight is to remind us that God faced those hardships God faced those sorrows with others. He was there. He was with them in all of those trials. And God will face them with us. God is there no matter what. No matter what. If we're his children, he's our father. And he is there. We do not have a high priest the Hebrews writer reminds us in Hebrews 4.15, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. And in fact, he goes on to write, but he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without 
sin. And you know what the next verse says? Because of that, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find what? Grace to help in time of need. There are a great many folks right here tonight who are in that time of need, that time of challenge, hardship, sorrow. God is there with you. Living by faith, I feel no alarm, but living by faith does not shield us from harm. Sorrows come, but God is with us. In fact, in Matthew one twenty three, Matthew reminds us, doesn't he, of that very fact. As he talks about the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 7.14 and quotes it. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. God with us. We're not alone in this life. If God be for us, who can be against us? Tonight, if you would have God with you, you'll have to be with God. And the only way to do that is to become obedient to his will by a belief that leads you to repent of your sins and confess him to be the Christ and then to be buried with him in baptism for the remission of sins. And you'll rise from that watery grave of baptism cleansed from sin and facing a life that will not be a bed of roses. In fact, you may, because of that momentous decision to obey him, face challenges and opposition you would never have faced if you had not made that decision. But the key will be that if you're with him in all of those challenges and in all of that opposition, in all of those sorrows, he will be with you. And if you need to come home to your first love, as one who has once lived by faith, but whose faith has wavered, and that is known in a way that has brought reproach upon the church publicly, come home in that same way. If there's something you need to repent of privately, do it privately. And for those who need no response privately or publicly, but who are living by faith, please be reminded and fully assured that as you do, God, as he was with so many others about whom we have studied tonight, is also with you. As we stand to sing, if you need to respond, will you?